It is good to be amongst friends, amongst fellow believers. Um, and uh, I would like to, I would like to uh, wish and, and ask that God fill us today with joy. Fill me today with joy, you today with joy, uh, the joy of Christ, the joy that only God can give. Um, today is the day where we talk about the final uh, topic of our seven-topic series uh, that we entitled, I Am. Now, th these are very important series because they reveal to us who Jesus Christ really is. And as believers, it is really important for us to know who is our Savior. Um, Alex Labadjanik uh, started off this series speaking about the bread of life. Uh, I then spoke about Jesus being not only the bread of life, but also the light to the world. Uh, Dennis Adarashka in week three spoke about Jesus being the door of the sheep. Uh, Dennis Shorkin in week four spoke about being, Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Andy Ivansov in week five spoke about being uh, Jesus being the good shepherd. And then Alex Labadjanik last week was speaking about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And today we come to our final uh, topic, our final uh, sermon in this series, where Jesus claims to be something unique, something special. I mean, everything that Jesus says is usually out of the ordinary, but this time Jesus says, I am the vine, and not just any vine. He says, I am the the true vine. And so I would like to invite you wherever you are, whether you're here, um, and there's just, just barely enough of us here to get this running. Um, there's almost no one here, honestly. Uh, but I would like to invite those who are in their homes, in their living rooms, in their bedrooms, maybe in their cars, to uh, tune in not just by uh, opening up our channel, but to tune in with our minds and to, if you have the opportunity, open our Bibles to John chapter 15. And I will be uh, reading just one verse. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Um, the way I'd like to approach this topic, and if I could invite you to together with me approach this topic in the following way. We're not going to talk about what we need to do, right, as believers to, you know, abide. Uh, we're not going to talk about the prerequisite, the requirements. I would like to, to focus a little bit today on the why. Why should we care, right, that Jesus is the true vine? Why should we care that we ought to abide in him? What is it, what, what is Jesus trying to say here, the why? And then we'll get into the, the how and, uh, and, and the other things. So let's begin with the end and let's talk about us abiding in, in the vine uh, and the results of us abiding in the vine. Um, I would like to, to read Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 14 says something very interesting, that there is an issue that human beings have, and this issue is called emptiness. Human beings by themselves are empty. 
Uh, it says, I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So in the olden times, there was this um, person who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he said that after doing everything, and when you read Ecclesiastes, this person literally did everything that he wanted to do. Anything that would bring him pleasure and he wanted to have pleasure in his life, he would do that. And at the end of his life, this person says, I have an issue. There is a problem. And the problem is that everything is vanity. Um, in other words, everything is emptiness. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, speaks a little bit about this. And I, I would like us to turn there. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. It's a little illustration that I, as I was reading the Bible, it, it kind of opened up to me in, in, a, in a weird, I guess, way. Speaking about the emptiness of people. And I want to speak about the emptiness just a little bit so that we could speak about abiding in God and Jesus Christ, the true vine. It says, on the third day, uh, so Jesus is basically uh, invited to a wedding. And th this, is what it, th this is how the story goes. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And verse 3, listen to this word. It says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no, they have no wine. So here's the story. Basically, Jesus is invited to a wedding, and everyone prepares for a wedding like no other event, right? Like if, if, you, if it's going to be your wedding, you are going to be preparing as best as you can. Well, the issue here was that the person who was preparing didn't prepare well enough. And so, uh, or, or maybe there was some kind of miscalculation, because as Jesus enters this wedding, there is a problem. There is an issue that is already like predetermined. Uh, the way that the Bible puts it here, and it puts it like this in every translation, it says when the wine ran out. Not uh, somehow or it happened that, but when, meaning it was meant to happen. It was going to happen. This miscalculation of some sorts, right? This is a huge miscalculation, not having enough things to drink. Uh, wasn't a miscalculation. This miscalculation actually is the, the way that we as humans are set, the way, that we, um, uh, the way that we are created. We are created with a certain type of emptiness, and, and this is an emptiness that I would like to talk about. Our resources are limited, and we long for something more. And so we have this problem that we read in the ancient times. Ecclesiastes... And in Ecclesiastes, we read that after this person tried everything, he says, everything is vanity. Everything is emptiness. There is no point in my living here. Jesus coming to a wedding that was supposed to be prepared, that was supposed to be ready, that was supposed to have enough water, enough wine, enough food, uh, finds himself in a situation where there isn't enough wine. And, and the way that the Bible puts it, we read together, was that it was meant to happen. Like this wedding was meant to go broke, to be broken so that someone could fix it. 
so that someone could come into this wedding and do a miracle. And we know that this was the first miracle that Jesus Christ did. He churned water into wine. But, but Jesus can do this. If Jesus wasn't invited to the wedding, they would have still had that problem, but they wouldn't have the answer. And now we read in John chapter 15 that Jesus says, I am the true vine, meaning I am the source of something that you are looking for, something that you are missing, something that you are in need of. Whether you know that you are in need of this or you don't, you need this thing. And I would like us to look at a couple of contemporary authors, okay? So maybe this was a problem, some might say, of ancient times, ancient people. People back then didn't have the internet, didn't have roller coasters, didn't have airplanes, didn't have quads, didn't have all the things that we have today. They had issues with being bored. We don't have such issues, so this might not apply to us. This emptiness, this not being able to fulfill yourself, not being able to feel like what you're doing here on earth actually matters, actually counts somewhere, that you are actually putting a, a mark in, in, in this world. I want to read a couple of quotes from books of pretty famous authors. And I'm not going to name the names of most of these authors um, for very specific reasons, but these are famous people who said the following things. I would like us to notice that these people, these unbelievers, they don't try to explain away the emptiness, the void, the, the lack of something that they are experiencing. These people don't even try to go there and try to, to, to say, well, maybe not everyone has it. Maybe you can fill it with something. These people speak about this emptiness, speak about a person's inability to, to function at, at, at a 100% level, like to feel like you really, your life really matters, as if this is normal, as if this is something that they've experienced, all of their friends experience, and they're trying to give answers. Here's the answers that the world offers to us. Famous people, very smart people, I would say, but here's the answers that the world offers to us. They say, are you, are you feeling like you're not having enough life in you? Are you feeling like you're just disconnected, like your, your life doesn't really matter? Well, well, here's the first thing they say try to create things that's what they say try to create things so here's a quote uh, these are two people that are actually the have, have, have this article they're authors podcasters filmmakers pretty big people here in this in this culture that we live in they say when we feel there's a void within us listen to this when we feel there's a void within us unbelievers they don't even try to un explain away the emptiness. They say, when you feel this, like we will come. And if, if I haven't come to this point, right, as an unbeliever, I will come. This is what this says. When we feel there's a void within us, which we have to fill, many of us try to fill it by consuming more stuff. And so this is their take on it. We try to read more books and get more knowledge, uh, more YouTube videos, more social media posts to look at, more stuff to experience, more stuff to buy. Here's their answer. We must realize the real void is on the other side of the equation. Again, they're not trying to explain away the void. They know it's there. People know it's there. People feel it. People experience it. Some in the morning, some in the evening, some, some throughout the day, some once a week, 
some every single day of their lives, but people feel it outside of abiding, and we'll talk about abiding, people feel it. They feel like there's, there's a source that they need, but that they don't have. They say, we must realize the real void is on the other side of the equation. The void most of us feel is a creative void, okay? We're so caught up in our consumeristic mindset, we forget our inherent need to create. The solution then, they say, is to create more and consume less. So here's, here's one answer that the world offers to us. You have a void. You have an emptiness. Do you feel like there's a longing for something and you're just never reaching to that longing? Try to create. And uh, these are famous people. This, this, is, these are actually, this is a famous article. And people, people read this and it makes sense. It makes sense in a, in, in a way. But this is what the world offers us. Here's another, here's another quote uh, by another pretty famous uh, statement. How do you fill this longing in your heart? Well, the world says children, babies, having something to pour yourself into. And I read, I quote, a baby fills the emptiness in our heart with her presence and pure love. So people say again, okay, you're feeling this Loneliness, you're feeling this, this emptiness, you're feeling this longing for something? Children, get married, have children, pour yourself into them, and you'll feel fulfilled. And again, there's, there's a hint of truth to this. There's a hint of truth. But unless we have the true answer, and I want to talk about the true answer to that longing, we will never find true rest, true fulfillment in these things. Uh, another thing that the world offers, the, another answer, I would say, that the world has to this emptiness is love. And here's uh, another pretty famous um, statement by uh, a journalist who is, who is, who's passed away, but he, he's an author, an activist. And he said, the void can only be filled... Again, realize, he's not trying to explain away the void. He's saying the void that you are experiencing, that humans, billions of people experience, can only be filled with love. Well, this person um, died at the age of 64. And this person died of, of AIDS. There, there are some, there are some solutions that the world gives us that are incomplete. I would like us to look at one more solution that the world gives us. Another incomplete solution. Um, a very distinguished author, many awards, says the following things. And I'll actually, I'll read his name, Mark Danielski. He says, youth always tries, in one of his books, he says, youth always tries to fill the void. Listen to this. An old man learns to live with it. So after people have gone through the process of sifting through things and trying, trying children, trying love, trying creativity, trying all these things, and they, they come to a realization, and this person says in his book, an old man will actually learn to live with that void. He'll grow accustomed to it. He'll, he'll build uh, his life around this emptiness, around this longing. It'll become 
a normal, everyday part of his or her life. And you know what's unfortunate? Billions of people live their lives in this exact way. There's, there's a fight. You come into the world and you put up a fight because you're like, you're, you're wired to think that this longing in me, this, this, this feeling that there's something more out there isn't right. And that is a true and correct feeling. But after fighting through so many different things, after trying, after investing yourself into creativity, okay, into love, into children, here, here's some more for us. I, we just don't have time to go through many people quoting many different things, how they try to fill their void. Trying careers, trying money, trying education, right? Trying, trying to get letters after your name. There are so many things that the world tries and unfortunately, many people settle on this statement that Mark Danielski says, youth always tries to fill the void and old man learns to live with it. Just live with it. Here's what the world says. And I, I, I want to encourage us that what the world says isn't what God says. God has a different solution for this longing that you might be experiencing in your life. Perhaps you have this longing. And I, I want to say, this is, this is my personal uh, opinion, but this longing is one of the best things that a person can have. The moment a person loses all sensitivity to this reality that there is something missing in his or her life without the true abiding in someone. And we'll talk about that someone. And I would actually talk about the something. Where do we go from there? What do we do? Well, here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible has answers to this longing. The Bible um, has been giving us answers for thousands of years, actually. And the Bible says that there is a void, again, there is this longing that's in human hearts and that it is in every human heart. But here's what the, the Bible says, that you can't fill this longing with something that is fake. So you can't fill this feeling of emptiness with a counterfeit of what it needs to be filled with. There's a certain shape in which this longing is made in which this longing is in our hearts and if you try to stick things in there that are not of that shape it can feel like it's covering some of this longing some of this dissatisfaction but it's never going to fix it and so here's here's what we find in the bible john chapter 15 verse 5 and 6. And again, this is the chapter in which Jesus says, I am the true vine. Here's what he says later on. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, listen carefully, abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So, so Jesus makes this statement pretty clear, that you can try doing things, right? Like the, the, what the Bible is saying here isn't that people are literally paralyzed from doing anything unless they try to do it with God. People try things without God all the time. People can get pretty successful in the eyes of the world without God 
many times. But what the scripture says here is that without me, or in the NASB, apart from me, you can do nothing. Meaning that you can, you can, you can, you can put your effort into this. You can try, but the result, the result of every toil, every hardship that you endure to fill this longing outside of the true filling is going to be nothing. You're going to continue to feel the nothing, continue to feel the void, and that's going to be an issue. The Bible continues, and listen please carefully to this. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. This is what people are scared of. He is thrown away as a branch and dries up. That, that is the picture of a person who has a longing and is not filling it with the right stuff. A picture of a branch that is drying up. A picture of a branch that is finally cut and thrown away. And they gather those branches and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. That is the picture, a sad picture of a person who tries to fill the longing but fills it improperly. Here's, here's what we have to understand. And I, I would like to read a quote from a, a book uh, by C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, in order to help us understand this. He says, if I find in myself, listen carefully, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably, he continues, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I don't know if you guys heard what I was saying, but these things, the, the way that C.S. Lewis puts it, is so applicable to my life. This is something that I live through personally and something that perhaps someone is living through right now. When there is a longing inside of us that cannot be filled, C.S. Lewis says that the, the problem isn't that there is nothing to fill it with. It's that we are filling it with the incorrect thing. And if we try everything, and I hope that we don't try everything, and come to the same realization that Mark did, Mark Danielski, who says the old man learns to live with this longing, to live with this pitiful, hurtful state of not being satisfied, not being joyful, not being happy. The Bible says, and, and C.S. Lewis proposes, that probably earthly pleasures were then never meant to fill this longing. Probably there is something of another world that is supposed to fill us, that is supposed to saturate us, from which we are supposed to pick and, and draw the juice that can fill us and satisfy us wholly and fully. So... Point number one is that emptiness will never be satisfied by something that is counterfeit, something that is fake. Point number two is that emptiness must only be filled with joy. And by joy, I mean capital J, joy. Listen to this. Listen to the same words again. John 15:1 says, "I am the true vine." And then John chapter 15:11 says, "These things I have spoken to you 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Do you know when Jesus speaks, verse 11, about joy? He speaks it after giving a 10-verse explanation of what is the vine, how to abide in the vine, what not to do if you don't want to be cut from the vine. And then the conclusion of this whole thing is verse 11. He says, these things I have given you, I have spoken to you, so that your joy may be, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. There's this fullness that the Bible offers to us. There's this fullness that the true vine offers to us. A fullness that fills every emptiness. That finally makes you feel like life is worth living. Like there is a reason to continue waking up in the morning. There's a reason to continue to press on. There's, there's a reason to struggle. There's a reason to go through hardships. There's a reason to always have hope. And, and it's not because of the things that the world talks about, because those things will disappoint. However lovely it is to have children, however lovely it is to have good, healthy relationships and experience love in them, however healthy it is to create things because we're made in the image of God and so we create, but if that becomes our end, if that becomes what we try to fill our void with, we will find ourselves empty because those things are not eternal sources of joy. There's one eternal source of joy, of life everlasting, and that is the true vine. That is Christ Jesus, and he offers himself to us. Listen to another quote by C.S. Lewis, uh, another good book of his that I would highly recommend for you to read, Surprised by Joy. In Surprised by Joy, he says, and I quote, unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction is called joy listen to that just just think about this unsatisfied desire which is itself more des more desirable than any other satisfaction i call it joy which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and from pleasure so joy is not happiness joy is not pleasure he says joy in my sense has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. Anyone who has experienced joy will want it again. And the reason I talk about this is because in the last couple of, I don't know, time, I've been, I've been realizing that that is the, the essence of my faith. When you, when you have that sweet, sweet fellowship, and you experience something that nothing in this world can, can have you experience. That nothing in this world can offer. You understand that this is something unique to the vine. This is something unique to the true vine. The one that gives some kind of juice that you are so filled with. So overfilled with. So, in, uh, so over, uh, overjoyed with that there is nothing to compare with it. He continues. He says... Uh, joy, in my sense, has one characteristic. It is different from uh, pleasure, from happiness. And he says, the fact is that anyone who has experienced it will, will want it again. Apart from that, 
and considered only its quality, it might almost equally be called a particular kind of unhappiness or grief. We're not going to get into that, but that's, pretty, that's a very interesting statement. But then it is a kind we want. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world, but then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. Joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. So when we're talking about joy, I don't want us to mistake it with pleasure. When we're talking about joy, I don't want us to mistake it with happiness. When we're talking about joy, we're talking about something that only the one who has experienced it can fully understand. This is it. And once you have tasted it, once you have experienced it, you want nothing else. You want nothing more, nothing less than that. That same experience. And it's not just an experience. That same a state of being. And it's not just a state of being. That same person, that same being, being in fellowship with you, and you being in fellowship with him. And so, as we talk about joy, a good question to ask is, what is it? And that's point number three. What is joy? S.D. Gordon, he is a 19th century author and minister. He says the following things. Joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. Do you guys get that? Joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort, meaning like something you like. Joy has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. Joy is not the superficial thing that we have been almost brought up to believe in this culture. Joy is something that is unique to Christianity, and joy is something that doesn't happen when you experience something that you like. Joy is something deeper. Joy is abiding in the true vine. John 16, 20 proves this point, that joy isn't circumstantial. Listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Jesus says in the next chapter, right? We read John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and I'm telling you this so that you may have joy. John chapter 16, you will weep and lament, cry, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, listen to this, but your grief will be churned into joy. It's almost as if through grief, through pain, through suffering, 
It could also be through happiness, through pleasure, but, but it's, it's deeper underneath this joy. When you are connected to the true source of joy, when you are connected to the true source of, of life, when you are connected to the true vine, as John 15, 1 says, that joy, it penetrates everything. And then grief is turned into joy. And then there's, there's, the Bible speaks about there's, there, there being tears in the night, but then, but then joy comes in the morning. Like, what does that even mean? Well, that means that joy isn't in, in a circumstance. And your circumstance might have not even changed overnight, but, but the joy that finally sprouts through, if you are connected to the true vine, will break through all the things that it needs to break through if you allow it to, and you will experience things. You will live a certain way that you have never lived before. So what is joy? Joy is not circumstantial. And finally, number four, joy never settles for less. And it's not that joy never settles for less. I would try to call us not to settle for less than anything but joy. C.S. Lewis writes in another one of his books, Into the Wardrobe, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of rewards promised in the Gospels, just listen to this, if we could consider, if you just think about the rewards that the Bible offers to us, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is, what is meant to the offer of a holiday at the sea. So, so, so what we are settling for, what the Bible is actually showing to us is that the, the true vine is giving us something that nothing in this world can give us. And if we ever settle for anything less than what this true vine is giving for us, we are not just cutting ourselves short. We are destroying everything that God has planned for our lives because God's plan for our lives was that joy. It was that pure, spotless joy. It was that fellowship with God and as you have fellowship with God you are taken into another place people call it heavens third heaven seven heavens people call it being in a bliss people call it sweet hour of prayer but whatever it is it is something that is unexplainable to people who 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 haven't experienced it and my desire my hope is that some kind of spark within us for those of us who have never experienced us be a be set aflame and so that we would say I actually want to experience this I want to understand what is meant by joy what is meant by the script what is meant by sweet fellowship with God what is that and if you if you put for yourself this this goal this desire I'm not saying that God will just just say, well, you, you have that desire, here we go, the next day. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God seeing our hearts and God having created us in a way that that was the way that we ultimately should function in joy, in His presence, will grant us our desire. Because as John chapter 15 says in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. 
and it shall be done for you. And you know, you know what's interesting? When we read that verse, you know what we think about? And this, this shows me personally my state, my understanding of joy. I think about really anything I, I ask for, God is going to give it to me. And my mind goes to finances. My mind goes to education. My mind goes to the things that the world, that the people of the world write, and they say, you want to you experience this thing? They don't know what it is. It's called joy. Try this. And I'm thinking, God's going to give it to me. Well, here's the thing. A person, like C.S. Lewis said, who has experienced joy, the one characteristic of joy is that he will nothing, want nothing else, nothing more, nothing less, but that same joy over and over and over again. And it increases, by the way. It grows. It matures. And a person spends his life here on earth in bliss. Not easy life. Not just, you know, you're just, just living, not a worry in the world. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. And I think you, you have that idea. But a life of joy. Again, if we could go back to the Mere Christianity book and, and read uh, another expert, C.S. Lewis writes, and I want to I quote this, the same thing I quoted before. He says, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. And then he continues. This is the same quote. This is new, though. If that is so, if this is true, if this joy exists and we're missing it, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or churned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. That's what true joy does. When a person experiences true joy, he doesn't just get locked up in a room somewhere and just, just, just being there with that joy, not wanting anyone to get a piece of it because it just feels so good. That's not the case. When a person experiences joy with the capital J, then the person says, this is, this is something I've never imagined. This is something that is unbelievable. I need to share this with others. And moreover, I need to make the purpose of my life to have this joy, not just here, but eternally with God, to have that sweet fellowship with God, to know what His will is, to abide in the true vine and allow the juices of that vine to flow into me, to change me, transform me, and give me something that nothing in this world can give me. Joy. St. Augustine of Hippo, in his book Confessions, another good read, says the following. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let's pray.